Hi y'all, this is Stephanie Kimu, and welcome back to the Angry Africans podcast. This podcast is about Black anger and what it's done for all of us. So I'll be in conversation with my favorite angry African thinkers, creatives, and activists from the continent and the diaspora to get to know why they mad and what they're doing about it. The Black body is political, and thus it is a revolutionary act of reclamation for us to unlock whatever brings pleasure, especially when we talk about sex, a topic that has been really difficult for Black people to discuss in ways that are affirming and abundant. And so in this episode, I want to unpack the stigma that we've attached to sexual exploration within our community globally. And that stigma that we are placing on Black people is informed by traditionally white supremacist and colonized frameworks being peddled to the masses, especially through religion. Sorry, but not really sorry. There are lots of ways that our community is telling us how we want to explore sexually is wrong. But from breaking the burdens of the gender binary to shedding ourselves of shame, there is so much in store for Black people who can begin to decolonize our perspectives on what's acceptable, what's normal, And so if to decolonize means to return to indigenous belief systems rooted in a desire for collective liberation from systems of oppression, then what does it look like to decolonize sexuality across the entire Black diaspora? Well, Penda Jai has an idea, and that is why she started ProHo, a community discussion space and podcast pushing to eradicate stigmas, especially stigmas surrounding sexual freedom and identity in our communities. And so Penda talks to us about why the gender binary is colonized as fuck. Penda talks to us about why the gender binary is colonized as fuck, how societal, racial, and religious constructs often stifle our sexual liberties, and how she's getting into the business of masturbation with her upcoming sex toy brand. Writer and startup founder, Penda Jai, it's so amazing to have you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Of course. Thanks for inviting me. I'm I'm really ecstatic to be here. For those who don't know you, you write stories. You write stories about our bodies, particularly how we enjoy our bodies, how we can find pleasure that is free of stigma and free of worry about other people's opinions. And what I love about you that people write over and over is that the idea that we can take our personal pleasure and transform that into societal change, which is a huge part of what the Angry Africans is about, taking emotions that have left us feeling kind of disempowered or lacking of agency and transforming that into pleasure and, but really into change. And so your brand ProHo is the embodiment of that. And you host candid conversations. You encourage sexual liberation, especially in communities of color, especially for black folks. And 
you're building a sex toy brand. Yes. Can't believe it. Sometimes I'm like, am I? (laughs) You always say that the Black body is political. When we talk about liberation, we have to talk about pleasure. And so when you say the Black body is political, what does that mean to you? Especially when we want to talk about how sex and pleasure have been colored in a way for Black people that often has nothing to do with our own indigenous feelings and and frameworks of thinking. And so wh- what, what do you mean by that when you say the Black body is political? Yes. Well, even before getting back to that, what you said about just the information and framing of, you know, what is historical for us, I think in a lot of the work that I've been doing, um, learning about decolonizing sexuality, you really start to see that while a lot of our language and history and artifacts have been erased because of colonialization, the few things that do remain really show that, you know, our ancestors, a lot of African cultures, a lot of Native American cultures and indigenous peoples really honored sexuality and it was revered and it was beautiful. There wasn't so much emphasis on gender binary. There wasn't shame around sexuality or homosexuality. Um, you know, there were so many ceremonies, sexual ceremonies that were used for healing. Um, you know, you start to see, I, I know there's uh one tribe and I'll send it to you so you can have it in your notes. But even in Zimbabwe, you see, you know, beautiful art sculptures of, of two men or two women. And you just start to get this sense that, you know, there was so much freedom, freedom associated with, with sexual expression. And I think, you know, the reason now current day to day, we think that we're very progressive about how we approach sexuality and gender identity, but we're, we're really not, we're actually, (laughs) we're catching up to the, to what the past was, which is interesting. Um, and so I think for for a lot of Black people and and people who are marginalized, you know, in marginalized communities, Black people, queer people, disabled people, really it's political because it just it, it was taken from us. And I think a lot of the the a lot of the power is in is reclaiming what has been taken from us. And so just even existing, I say for, you know, just even existing in a world that isn't set up for our gain, which is the world that we live in now, like, you know, it's changing and evolving, but, but realistically, you know, I don't know if you saw the meme of just the other day of the, the executive at Estee Lauder, who, who put the tweet about, um, or no, sorry, that's, that's another white man doing something racist, but there was another, uh, person who said that, you know, it was a beautiful Sudanese black woman model. And he was like, oh, I don't know if this is beautiful or a freak of nature, you know, something like that. And he, he didn't see anything wrong with saying that this is a freak of nature. And, um, so I think for me, it's political because, you know, we can do all of the work that we want to do behind the scenes. You know, in your house, you can be liberated. In your partnership, you can be liberated. But the true test is, can you be liberated in and face adversary, adversity at the same time? Can you step outside of your house and still feel liberated and feel confident in yourself, even when you have, you know, all these darts being thrown at you? And for a lot of us, I think that's the work. We feel really safe within our communities and we feel safe, you know, within our own bodies. But it's it's something really special if you can maintain that type of of just love and joy for yourself when you step outside and have to interact with people who are ultimately kind of against your your pleasure. Oh my gosh, so many nuggets. I feel like the idea that 
we may as black people feel inherently ashamed of some of our sex, the aspects of our sexuality, because we may carry shame in other parts of our lives in inherently white supremacist culture is really stripping us of our own definitions, our own definitions of sexuality and liberation. When we talk about sexual liberation being taken from us, it really makes me think of the pro-ho life that you always talk about and that I think so many of us are attracted to in your brand. I want to talk about sexual liberation, but let's center it with a pro-ho definition. How would you define a pro-ho lifestyle? Yes. I think a pro-ho lifestyle is one that just affirms sexual exploration and validates your sexual desires, whether or not you've been taught that they're quote unquote normative desires. Because if you think back to sex education, you know, I mean, I don't even remember sex education, to be completely honest, in, in any capacity within a school system. And I mean, but if I, I assume what I did have it and it didn't mention anything about queer sexualities or, you know, the gender binary or it really was about abstinence and don't get STDs or STIs and how to prevent pregnancy. And so I think when you couple that with the stereotypes that already exist on top of black women, we can't move. It's like, OK, I can't get pregnant can't be gay, can't have sex, you know? So it's like, where, where do you, <laughs> can't be black, essentially can't be sexual, you know, can't be free. So it's, you know, we have, I always say black women, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are, are put inside of a certain box when it comes to sexuality, but black women, that box is like extremely, extremely, extremely small. What's in that box? Can we talk about what's in that box for black women? Because if you take away, if, if we have people telling us, procreation let's like do not do too much if we have then we have i'm sorry but also like black men and cisgendered people telling us how our bodies need to look yes yes then you have white supremacy culture just like you said throwing darts telling us our hair our lips our bodies are not adequate enough unless they're on a lighter skin person and so that doesn't leave a lot in the black woman gender nonconforming folk box. What what do you what, <laughs> you know? And so what crumbs? They're crumbs. Well, you crumbs. <laughs> and why why black women and gender nonconforming folk? Like why are is our box so small when it comes to a definition of sexual liberation, which should be spacious? Absolutely. I mean, I think a lot of it goes back to chattel slavery, the way that, you know, our family units operated during that time. And, you know, I think there's a whole, um, there's so much to talk about cis black men. Honestly, there's so much. Um, and, and in terms of how, you know, essentially we were separated during slavery and, and just, I think for we're still trying to figure out Black fam, black love, black family. Like we're we're still trying to define what that means, how it looks. And I think you know, if we're talking about the binary, I think you know, both sexes have have really had things against us that kind of you know don't allow us to express ourselves sexually and 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 know love in the way that we see other races finding you know safety in family units and and being in monogamous relationships. Not to say that that's the you know the end all be all, but it does seem it's 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 um 
it's rare sometimes, at least in, you know, New York city, it's, it's interesting. Um, but I, I feel like, um, so yes, it's chattel slavery. I think just how, you know, black women, we are treated as the mammy. We have all these other stereotypes, the Jezebel, the Sapphire, you know, Jezebel being, um, very sexually promiscuous. And, um, I, I always go back to this story with my mom because she, you know, my mom is really the catalyst for starting pro ho. She gave me my first sex toy, but that sex toy did leave lead to some of my most powerful first G-spot orgasms. But she would often have, you know, she would give me conflicting advice. On one hand, she would say, oh, think like a white girl when you're dating, have fun. Like, don't be desperate. You know, you're the prize. Everyone's fawning over you because I feel like in, in general, that's kind of how white women historically have been treated, that they are the beauty standard. They're the most desirable. So she would tell me that kind of advice. I'm like, okay, I'm a bad bitch. Yes. You know, think like a white girl. But then on the other side, she would say, oh, keep an aspirin between your legs, which means, you know, don't put out too soon, keep your legs closed. And so I'm like, okay, so which is it? And I think that that's a testament to how we just, you know, we want to be free. We want to be liberated, but then at the same time, we're like, oh, but, you know, reel it in because society isn't quite ready for that. But I think also the box is small because of religious constructs, social constructs, um, cultural constructs, you know, and we were discussing this before, you know, my family, my dad's family is all Muslim. They don't know that I'm talking about sex as my profession and career. And, you know, I, I feel like I interact with them with a certain level of respect. I don't want to just, you know, disrespect, <laughs> bring shame upon my family. I don't want to do that. Um, and then we have, you know, a lot of other religious, you know, if Christianity and, and all of these things are, you know, Part, and partly due to colonization. So I think, you know, if you really take it back, that might be the cause of, of some of these. Always. Yeah, always exactly. the cause. No. Always. <laughs> I mean, if you look back, actually, it's the reason for a lot of strife. For sure. <laughs> and I feel like you hit on something that I keep hearing, which is the respectability politics that has become one of the biggest burdens and barriers to pleasure for black the black women and n- gender nonconforming folk in my life. Yes. I think that when we the contradiction of knowing that I deserve pleasure as a 30 something and I have to keep this hidden because I don't want the way I seek pleasure or the way I experience pleasure to be known by people in my life and not just my, clearly not just my parents, but even close friends of mine. I haven't black women who I've known my whole life, people of color. I've known my whole life. I realize we don't talk about sex. Like we don't talk about how we orgasm, what, what are ways that haven't worked and what are ways that have worked to seek pleasure. I feel like, there's such a stigma around stepping in our power for sexual liberation. And I wonder for you, when you look and meet and, and experience people who are having issues, what's the thing that you notice about all of these Black people who are like, I'm having issues with finding the thing that pleases me or communicating what I want? Or, you know, what is the, what's the thing you feel you think is is stopping black people's sexual liberation in terms of how people are talking to you about it. Yes. I, I think hands down, shame is like 
the front runner. Um, and, and shame manifests itself in so many different ways. Like I, you know, there's someone that I've been speaking with for a long time who I thought, I, you know, I was going to profile in this book and they're from Houston, but from a very religious, strict Christian background, um, you know, always just felt so much shame around masturbation, around sexual penetration, et cetera. And that just really didn't allow them to have experiences where they could grow and learn about their sexual, because, you know, a, as much information as there is out there, which is still isn't a lot, Let's let's face it. A lot of um, a lot of sex information comes from actually having sex. It comes from sexual exploration. It comes from masturbation, from learning about yourself. So I think there's a key part for sure in Black people not feeling confident in exploring their own body and feeling like they are deserving of pleasure. And that's something that you really need to communicate to others. And it's it's kind of unrealistic to feel fulfilled in all of your other sexual, you know, expeditions if you don't know what you want from yourself. I think also a big thing that I observe is, you know, we'll see things on social media where, you know, we'll see beautiful heterosexual black couples and people want to say hashtag black love, which is beautiful, but it's just like, are you keeping that same energy when it's two trans black people or two, you know, gay black people, et cetera, whatever it is. And I think for a lot of black folks, we're not really progressing like black sexual politics because we're still staying in this very, this very small, you know, world of what black love looks like, what is successful black love. And I'm like, this is all, this is what, you know, this is what the white folks want for us, (laughs) but we have to, we have to think bigger than that. Um, I also have, you know, another friend who is primarily only dated men. She, She identifies as a woman and, you know, just now she's opening herself up to other genders and love and, you know, whatever. And she expressed to me that, you know, she felt, she felt that her queer friends would judge her for, for kind of testing out the waters and trying new things, et cetera. And I thought that that was really interesting. I'm like, why would they, why would you feel that they would judge you? She's like, I don't know. I don't want to feel like I'm, you know, a fake or a phony or, you know, that I'm just thinking it's, you know, trendy or, you know, and I'm like, wow, that's, that's very interesting because I don't know that I would, that I would feel that way. But I think that that's very real that, real that, like you said, a lot of us feel judged from even our peers. Yeah. Or even the idea of like exploration, which I think comes up in a lot of your pieces. I read your Vice piece and I, I think you had an interview in The Cup. And there is this idea that you always go back to, which is exploration. Explore what pleases you. Strip yourself of others' definitions and explore what pleases you. What is some advice for Black people to get comfortable with that idea? Get comfortable with the idea of masturbation. Get comfortable with the idea of finding toys and and other tools of pleasure to increase. You know, like I, I don't think people are talking about that. I know. It's something very important to me, clearly. Yes. But I don't I don't talk about it because no one else is talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. And it's so interesting because that's something that I really noticed early on. I said, if you're if this is gonna work, if you're gonna try to build this community, you kind of have to be the person that's that's just gonna put yourself out there because the way that empathy is created through this storytelling is, is, is so powerful. And when, when other people see like, Oh, okay, she's doing it. You know, it's not so bad if I do it as well, or if that's what they're into. And I always talk about finding your kink tribe, because I, I think the more that you relate and tap into other people who have your same desires, the more that you realize, okay, this is 
you know, I hate to use the word normal because what is normal, but it's like, okay, it validates these experiences and desires. And I was talking to someone who said, you know, they don't really use regular porn. They prefer OnlyFans because they can really, you know, tap in and cater to their needs. But they said it was because when they, when they're on porn, they end up spiraling down this rabbit hole of different categories. They're like, oh my gosh, how did I end up here? but I'm excited and I'm turned on. And this is not, this is not what I thought I was into, but I'm, I'm, yeah, it's, it's working for me. And I think that that's also really important is just let yourself kind of, you know, let yourself have moments where you're like, you know, trial and error and curiosity, I think is really important. And we kind of lose that as we become adults. We're like, okay, this is sex. This is what I like, but there's just such a broad spectrum of sexuality that I think a lot of us haven't really tapped into. Yeah. But you know, even black women and queer people, we never have time to explore in other parts of our lives either. We kind of get to, I don't know, for me, I got to explore what books I liked, what I wanted to write, all of these things in, in, in college. But after that, you have to come to whatever job you start fully formed with all the answers because everyone's looking at the black woman who's always well-dressed, who has her shit together, who never fumbles. And so it's like, of course that would translate into sexual liberation or even finding thing that things that please me because I've never been able to explore in many other parts of my life. Honestly, even just saying that out loud, I realized I wasn't able to ins- explore until, well, uh, TMI, Mikhail's going to be so embarrassed, but my partner was, <laughs> my partner has been monumental in my sexual liberation. Monumental because he is a sexually liberated, free, uh, beautiful, gorgeous, sensual black man. And so I always just felt like the same way people say, find a partner who has the same ambitions as you and you guys can be go-getters together. It's like find someone or find a tribe that brings that out of you too. Yes, yes, absolutely. You know, they're, they're, the partner is so, so crucial having the right partner, you know? And I think that's what turns off a lot of folks is if you've had a few mediocre or bad partners, you're kind of, you know, a little bit more hesitant the next time to jump full on. Or I've had, you know, experiences where I've had sex with, you know, one particular man, I remember, um, TMI, but I, we were having sex and I was like on top. And like, he says to me during sex, he's like, you're so intense. And I was like, is that the right, is that the right thing for you to say right now? I don't know. And I was like, in my, in my head, I was kind of like, yeah, I am. Cause I'm about to just get mine and I'm having a good time. We're here. What, what else are we doing? If not being <laughs> intentionally intense? Yes. Yeah, so, you know, but, but I also then felt, you know, if it, if it, if I wasn't assured in my sexuality, how a word like that would really be detrimental to my exploration. If, you know, the next time I'm like, okay, I have to be a little bit more timid or I have to be softer. I shouldn't go as hard next time. And so I think, you know, we, those type of conversations and those type of partners, whether they realize it or not, um, you know, we, we hold on to them. We carry those words with us, especially when you're in such a vulnerable moment of having sex with someone. I was just kind of like, dude, that's a, just an interesting word. I don't know. Cause I would never, I don't know what I say to someone. You're so intense during sex. I, I feel like that's a negative thing to say. Um, 
I wish I had your podcast when I was younger because in my 20s, I was in, you know, not knowing anything about anything sexually right. and, and, and not being committed to f- figure it out. Right. Yes. In my yeah. 20s, I was just like, I'll go with it. You kind of have bad sex and then you normalize bad sex. And then your friends are normalizing bad sex. That's what you often talk about in your podcast yes. is yes. this this community of black people who is just, we're just all having bad sex throughout the 2000, 2000s. <laughs> exactly. Yep. And so Take it's it, like. Faking orgasm since the 2000s. Oh, faking orgasms. <laughs> I'm so happy to have the acting out of my life. I have taken actress off my resume. <laughs> Same. Same. But how did you get there? I'm someone at this point, mid-sex, I could just be like, tap out. I'm like, you know what? Maybe we just got to come back to this another time because it's just not working. And why? (laughs) What made you not do that when you were in your in your um, late teens or early 20s? What made you I, I, I should probably answer this question first. I. I really like, I've never really, I'm very lucky. I say this. I've never dated a bad person. Oh my gosh. What? (laughs) I mean, I I never, I should say, I've never had sex with a person that I did not like. You're blessed. Blessed. Well, I was also very like, I put myself in a box. I was kind of like, I'm going to keep this pill between my legs and I'm not going to be, I'm not going to have a long list of people I'm having sex with. I don't know why we do that to ourselves. We, we always are like, how many people have you had sex with? Or are you a virgin? You know, we associate like purity with being, with virginity, which is just not even, or like, you know, thinking about growing up when people are like, oh, you know, he popped your cherry and all those things where it's like, okay, I could pop my cherry, putting a tampon in or doing a split, you know, but like we associate so many of these markers with like a woman being pure and ready for marriage. There's even in one culture that I, I have to remember, but they, it was a, a sign of like mental prow or male prowess after on their wedding day, a man would um, hang up like his newly wife's like bloody sheets from their house so that everyone knew like, you know, he was some king of the bedroom. And I was like, wow, okay. And very, very interesting um, because it probably wasn't that great for her. Ask, let's ask her. <laughs> but, um, and, and my sister is a little bit older than me. She's, she's nine years older. And I remember having a conversation about her saying like, oh, one of my friends asked me, you know, how many men I've slept with. And this was probably like early twenties. And she was like, oh, I don't, I don't even remember. She's like, who counts? She's like, I, I lost count a long time ago. And I feel like some of those beginning conversations, I was like, yeah, what does it matter? Who cares? You know, this one man that I slept with, oh my gosh. I, I always say, I refer to him as like the digmatizer because it was some of the best sex that I had ever, 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 ever had. And that really made me understand the capacity of sexual pleasure. I was like, oh my gosh squirting the things, all of the things. And I just, I was, you know, and I was like, wait, this is, this is what, this is what sex is supposed to be. Oh my gosh. I've unlocked this, you know, special, um, you know, premium content. I'm on on the highest, (laughs) I'm on the highest tiered subscription 
I'm getting all of the premium content. That's honestly how I felt. And from that point on, and then the dude ghosted me. Like I was very, I was, I was convinced. I told all my friends, this is my husband. I found the one, like that's how insane the dick was just messing with everything. And then of course he ghosted me and I was like, oh my gosh. Okay. Well, got to replicate that sex somehow. (laughs) I think it's like that thing about your, your kink tribe and the people who bring it out of you and the partners who bring it out of you. I feel like more Black people have to commit to what you always say. You said this before, Consent, communication, and honesty. All of those lead to yes. sexual pre- freedom. Consent, communication, and honesty. Patient. Yes. You have my consent to do something. We're communicating what I want, what turns me the fuck on. We're communicating yes. what you want, what turns you the fuck on. We're honest about what makes us uncomfortable. Like sexual liber- and then and then you repeat the process, <laughs> right? It's like exactly. it's a repeat, self- repeat, repeat. Yeah. And yeah. so I just feel like, do you have more advice though for? For Black people, I'm going to link all the articles and all the interviews because you have yes. so many nuggets of advice. Yes. But outside of or in, in addition to further elaborating on what you mean by consent, communication, honesty, what are some kind of concrete tips you can get give to Black people, especially Black women, gender nonconforming folk, to really enhance our sexual liberation? My advice, I feel that, you know, conversations, having conversations with people that you trust, you know, how you and I are speaking like this. I hope that other folks have, uh, you know, some type of camaraderie with other people who are experiencing it. But like, you know, you said it's a very sacred group because some people are judgmental. But I think that's the first part is really communicating. Like I've had one friend who said she's never orgasmed, which is very normal, like so common, so common with black women. Yes. So common. And, and it pains, honestly, it pains me because if you are someone who has orgasmed, you know what that's like. And you know that that sensation is honestly kind of irreplicable and addictive and addictive. Right. And so what's, what's interesting about this friend, however, is that we share one sexual partner and we're very open about it. And I'm, and it's interesting because I'm like, Oh, well with, with him, I, you know, I had this experience, this experience, like I orgasmed a lot and da, da, da. And she was like, nope, not me. So I was like, wow, this is very interesting because in my opinion, I would judge, I would rate him as a, as a pretty proficient sexual partner. And for her to still say, no, I didn't orgasm all this stuff. I was like, wow. So is it, is it him or is it you and I, right? You know, I mean, it's him also, of course, but then it made me really put into perspective of we're both coming into that situation with the same person with different perspectives and different capabilities in order to mentally get there, emotionally get there. So I think, yes, you know, if you're thinking anatomically, like you, we have body parts that technically can help and assist people in orgasm, but there's so much more that plays into into your experience. And a lot of us don't realize that sex is emotional and sex is mental. And no matter how, you know, whatever you're bringing to the table, however skilled you are, if the other person isn't in sync with you or, you know, vice versa, then it's just not going to really be great. But even still saying that, you know, I've, I've gifted so many of my friends vibrated. So I'm like, girl, please, please just, I, I want mean, this for you. Really? I really, I really want this for you. And I think it's important that you understand your own. I think really that's what it is, 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 is masturbation is the first step. I really believe in understanding like, you know, what you want. And also I think that there's in this whole sex tech world and in the meta 
sex, et cetera, there are so many more apps that you can find, you know, BDSM apps, you can find different, you can, you know, go on and find your kink and find people that are into what you're into. Um, you know, I am not really into it, but I went to a sex party once with a, with a partner. And even though we didn't engage in that party, it was just really eye-opening to just kind of be like, Oh, New York city. Okay. We out here. Yes. These folks (laughs) is doing what they do. Were black people there? This one was more white, I would say. I didn't see any other black women. That's the thing. Like, I totally would be, especially in um, black, beautiful black cities, like totally would, that would be a beautiful experience just to see beautiful black people pleasure all around you. But I'm not going to be stared at by three sets of 62 year old yeah. white couples because they're no. the only people in that sex party. No, That's, thanks. Yeah. There, there, there was not <laughs> one person, there was not one person in there that I was like, Ooh, yes. You know, but you were probably the goddess that everyone oh. was like, <gasps> yes, exactly. Exactly. To the point where, where men and women were like approaching myself and my partner at the time, but like, they weren't even in, interested in him. They were just like, so you're the girl. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, because here we are being, you know, fetishized in this space. But um, I do want to point out also that while I'm, you know, that I feel that I'm sexually liberated, I still have my own qualms and still have my own insecurities. And even existing in those like sex spaces, I kind of feel like, you know, I feel more, um, um, more just conscious of how I interact because I'm like, I am sexually liberated, but I'm also a businesswoman. And I feel like, you know, that's also something that a lot of people, you know, black women, it's like, can you be both? Can you do both? Can you be a hoe? And can you be a, a CEO? Right. Oh, and we shit. can put that on a shirt, baby. <laughs> I love can that. Can you be a hoe and a CEO? Speaking of which, ma'am, you are a current CEO and yes. you're building a sex toy. Yes. I'm just going to say this is the world's first black owned sex toy company. Is that true? There are a couple others that I really am excited about. There's one called VDOM, which is, this is so interesting. They're a prosthetic um, penis. Um, Yes, which I think is very interesting. And it's it's created by a Black queer person. Um, I'm not sure if it's on the market yet, but otherwise... Um, I can think of Candy from Real Housewives of Atlanta, Candy Coated Nights, if you're a Housewife fan. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But there are so few. I really don't know anyone else in the space who is is forward, who is who is forward facing. You know, there might be some folks are building, you know, there's probably someone building it right now, which I hope we need more. Absolutely. So how is the pro-ho community, which is rooted in that first aspect that you talk about communication, talking, storytelling around sexual pleasure and liberation for Black folks and people of color? How is pro-ho going to speak to your new sex toy brand? And how are we all as Black women clamoring and Black folks clamoring to support you? How are we going to be engaging in your, your universe in the future? Yes. Yes. Well, a big part of the brand and the company is about sexual exploration and sexual play. 
And I think that as much as we talk about decolonizing pleasure and talking about shame, destigmatizing, we also have to talk about like sex is fun. Sex is playful. Sex has can, can just give you so much information about who you are. And so I, I don't want to give away too much, but I do, you know, I feel that this product is an extension of the community and of the work. Um, and it just really allows you, it puts the pleasure in your hands, literally, I'll say that. You have a lot more control over your pleasure, your orgasms, and you'll be able to learn a lot more about yourself and what gets you off, what 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 ticks, what, what are your, your pressure points and your pleasure points. Ooh, okay. Well, I've, I'm signing up mentally for the for the drop. We're also going to have a lube and um, some other goodies with the drop. Oh, we love to hear it. Well, I wanted to ask you, you know, the Angry Africans is all about Black people who felt like there was a barrier that they kind of wanted to destroy and they were angry about that barrier. And clearly you had a little bit of anger in you about the stigma and and the constraints put on Black people around our sexual liberation, which led to ProHo and led to this new CEO role. Yes. Who are some angry Africans who have been inspiring you lately? I've been really fangirling over Black fiction and Black women fiction writers who are showing love stories um, and and telling really beautiful, complex love stories. So we're not just like having Zane, but we're getting audio erotica in a way that feels, you know. Oh, I had no idea. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, the first one is a book, um, Luster by Raven Leilani. So good. Um, I don't know if it's a bestseller, but it, it no, it you have to read Luster. It's amazing. That's um, that one's really special. And then I just finished another book called Seven Days in June um, by Tia Williams. And that one, I honestly cried. I swear to God, I cried when the, when the book was over. I was so attached to the characters, but I just love seeing Black love. And they, they were both writers and they went to Columbia and they're just like esteemed people who are also just having sex and having really complicated emotions and I just don't feel like we we see that or we read about that a lot. So Luster and Seven Days in June, both incredible books. And um, yeah, I think also I'm just really excited to hopefully see more Black women on dating shows. I think like someone please create this because- <laughs> You would be the there. best. Okay. Somebody, where's my assistant? Somebody needs to get you on a dating show. Holy I, shit. Listen, all my friends, I was like, Benda, you would be so good on The Bachelor. Benda, do you want to go on Love is Blind? I'm like, please, someone, I'm here. Make it <laughs> you happen. Would, you, would, you would want that? I don't know. I mean, I think it could be fun, but I don't, uh, you have to be really vulnerable. Like it's, I feel like if you're not really a hundred percent vulnerable and honest on those shows, you come off looking crazy. <laughs> and I'm just like, am I re- ready to be that open with the entire world? But then I'm like, but that's kind of, you're what very you're open. Doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, oh my gosh. I hope that happens. I mean, honestly, I'd rather see you on a reality show about you building your business Absolutely. than see you on a dating show, but I'll take you whatever way you want to come to my <laughs> streaming platform. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm here for it. It's going to happen. It's, 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 
it's already, you know, brewing, I'm sure somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Penda. I feel so honored that the pro-ho host yes. came on my little bitty podcast. What an honor. <laughs> no, listen, you motivated me because I needed to kick things into high gear for the next season of my podcast. So I'm happy that this is, this is happening. Absolutely. Well, we are rooting for you. We can't wait for your, your toy to come out and all the accoutrements. Yes. And thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you.